Good evening. I certainly do desire an interest in your prayer, as Brother Casey has said, as I always do when I stand before you. I'm appreciative today of this opportunity. This church has a lot of history, and it's good history. History of, not because of this church, but because of God, what he did, many souls being saved, probably in this building. We were talking earlier with me and Jeremy were that it was in a barn that they began these meetings. My father and brother Jeremy were talking about that. and It's a meaningful thing that a body like this is still standing today. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for your, your all's support in Belize. The mission work there is going well. Um, I'll be headed back the soonest, at least I'll be headed back is in July, and my parents will probably be headed back sooner than then. Be headed back into July and looking forward to worshiping with your congregation there. We uh, plan to um, organize the church there in August, so please be in prayerful prayer about that as well. This evening, I want to bring to you a message of the sweetest name I know, and that would be Jesus. I get the opportunity this evening to speak of him, and I mean that, that I get the opportunity to speak of him. I want those this evening that do not know the Lord to truly have an open ear this evening, to truly open your eyes this evening, and more than anything, I, I would love for God to open the eyes of your heart this evening. I fear in the, in the world that we live today that many lost souls are very distracted, are very unconcerned with their final destination. I pray and I believe that we're in grave danger. Some of those souls are even loved ones that I have, my, my children. There's so many distractions in this world. So many things that are keeping us from seeking him, and those things are of the adversary, the devil, the one that wants to bring you with him. I know of another that wants to bring you with him. This evening, I want to speak to you about the crucifixion about the cross, and about a man named Jesus. This man, Jesus, came before this world knowing his final thing that he would have to accomplish, knew it from the beginning, what he came to earth to do. And he came to earth for a lowly sinner as I. I began studying about, I recently taught a lesson at WKU at the youth meeting. I began studying about being ashamed. And Isaiah talks about to not be ashamed of the gospel and to put your nose to a flint, your face to flint. And I spoke to these younger, they're not much younger than me, Christians, that about not being ashamed. 
I want to speak to you tonight, though, about another shame. The shame that Christ endured. The title of my message this evening is Despising the Shame for Our Redemption. In the 12th chapter of Hebrews, if you'll turn with me, I'm going to read one verse here where the title of my message comes from. In the second verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I began studying this and reading of the, of the crucifixion, Many times I feel like the world, it's just, it just gets red. And not understanding what truly happened to our Jesus. I believe people just breeze right by it many times. But the shame that he despised was for you and I. But I don't believe the shame that he truly despised was the things of this world that we would see as shame. In the 12th chapter here of Hebrews, on that second verse, there's a lot to that second verse there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame. You know, we have a joy that's set before us as well. I believe it's somewhat some of the same joy that he has at this moment. I believe the joy that he has was that he was going to glorify his father and that he was doing these things not for himself. He was doing these things to glorify the father and so that there would be a way once and for all for us to become holy and sanctified within our hearts. I truly believe that. I believe and think about the joy that we have on this earth that we can look forward to. We do have a joy that is set before us. That we should also despise any shame that comes about us. About us preaching the gospel or witnessing to a soul. Because of the joy that is set before us. And that joy is eternity. That joy is life forever. And I'm thankful today that there was one that came and died upon a cross, a cruel death, a death that wasn't even supposed to be the death that he was supposed to have. In studying that word despise, despising the shame, I kind of studied that a little bit. That word despising means thought little or nothing of. You get to the Greek, and the word shame there means of the ignominy, that which is visited on a person by the wicked. I had to look up that word ignominy. Looked it up several different places. Essentially, it just means shame or disgrace. But Jesus thought little or nothing of the disgrace 
of the shame, of the reproach that came upon him for you and I. And sinner friend, this evening, if you are lost and listening to this message, I pray that you'll open your ears to listen to what Jesus endured. In the human form, he endured things that we can never imagine. But also in the spiritual form, he endured something that had never touched him. He was spotless. He was a lamb that was completely spotless. You know, a brother taught a lesson. I've been filled with that spirit this last week. It's been a blessing to be at the minister school and just be in a room full of people that all they want to do is worship and glorify God. Whoo, it's been good. Let me tell you, it lights a fire back underneath you. Try it sometime. Get with some brothers and sisters and just glorify Him. It'll make you feel good inside and out. It'll make you feel that you have something to look forward to, a joy that we can't comprehend. It's unfathomable, the things that are to come. Many great men of the Bible tried to depict the visions that they saw of that land, but it's still, I don't believe it justifies truly what it is. They did the best they could to put it in terms that we can understand. But in the end, it's going to be great joy up there one day. It's a joy that I even look forward to. I might be young, but I think about heaven sometimes. I was thinking about it this morning. We sang a song about call me gone. You can call me gone one day. You might be grieving down on this earth, but you can call me gone is what it says. And I'll grieve no more and I'll have no more sorrow and no more pain. But I want to tell you tonight of of a friend, someone that will stick closer to you than a brother, that can take away all those pains that you feel of this world. That can give you a hope and give you a joy that can be set before you that you'll... Just look forward to. Something to look forward to. Isn't that what we always want in this life? We always want the next thing looking forward to, looking forward to. And that's what I believe Satan uses all the time for the lost. He uses all these things to keep their eyes set on the prizes of this world. I want you to just set those things aside. I really want you to listen to this message this evening. Listen to what Jesus endured He endured the cross. A punishment that was not supposed to be the punishment for the things that they said he committed. He was supposed to be stoned by Jewish law. Yet he was crucified. You know, the crucifixion in a lesson taught last week, it is almost a synonym for death. If you, if someone said you died on the cross, There was no thought of, how's that person doing, as Brother Jerry Miller said last week. There was never a thought of that. There was never a thought of, how is he doing? Is he still alive? Is he okay? Because the death of a crucifixion in that time meant you died. You were no longer alive, no longer living. You were crucified. A death that was so shameful. It wasn't even the death that was 
he was innocent, period, but per their accusations, for blaspheming, it was not the death he was supposed to have. Yet I believe that God, it worked out just how he wanted it to work out. Because this man, Jesus, came as man, and I believe he felt every nail. I believe that he truly felt all the shame, the things that they did to him. He felt all of those things, just as I do, as a man, feel all the pains and the sorrows of this world. He felt all those things. This morning, Brother Jeremy Miller brought a message at our church. A like passion. God was, Jesus was man just as much as he was God and endured these things all throughout his ministry, endured many times being shamed and reviled and reproached, and yet he despised those things. I've written a little list here. I've got some scripture to, to read, and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 27. Very familiar text of the crucifixion. As I was studying this text and truly just read it verse by verse, and the whole time when studying this text, I was just thinking of Jesus. And I was thinking of what he endured at this moment. I wanted to write these things down. And put them in a terminology that can be very well acknowledged by us. Because these things that happened to him, man, if it happened to us, we'd be so embarrassed. We'd be so ashamed of ourselves. We would feel like nothing. We would feel so small on this planet we, we, we would, wouldn't even know how to go forward in life. The things that he endured. Beginning in verse 24, leading up to this verse, Jesus is brought before Pilate, and Pilate can't find anything that Jesus does wrong. Yet the crowd is saying, crucify him, crucify him. Let Barabbas go. And so much by the influence of the crowd, Pilate to calm the crowd and give them what they want. That's what he does. In verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and our children. Now let me tell you, friends, his blood is on us. His blood, you know, another minister preached last week, taught last week that the blood is already on you. Whether you're saved or lost, it just depends on where it's applied. It's either applied on your hands or it's applied on your heart. And if you're lost this evening, it's applied on your hands. It's applied on your hands that, that you and just as I have sent him to that cross and that's the reason he was there, was for our sins. But let me tell you, he can wash that blood off, off of your hands and can cleanse your heart with it. 
You know, we think of blood, we don't think of something that will cleanse something. Because when you get blood on something, you can't get it out. You get blood on a white shirt and it's going to be there. It's hard to dig out. I remember as a child, I had many bloody noses and things would get on you as your shirt or a rag or whatever it is. You're not getting it out. Most of the time, you know what you did with it? You threw it away. I can tell you right now that this blood being applied to your heart, it's not something you'll ever throw away, and it's something that will cleanse you and wash you white as snow. Indeed, it will. Then released he Barabbas in the 26th verse unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Here's the first thing on my list, a shameful thing that happened to an innocent man. He was scourged or whipped. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. I had to look this up. A whole band of soldiers or a cohort, if you look it up, which is made up of about 480 men, roughly, is what a band of soldiers is. So think about that. Think about and put your, shoe, your feet in Jesus' shoes at this moment. You're standing before Pilate. You're standing before many men, soldiers, that all want to, that want to crucify you. And think of the shame that's about to happen to this man. And they stripped him and put him on a scarlet robe. That's my second thing on this list. They stripped him in front of a cohort of men. He's completely nude at the moment. And then they want to dress him and adorn him in a robe that's like a king. And then, when, then they plaited a crown of thorns. They put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the, the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. This is another thing on my list. They're mocking him as they dressed him up in a manner that he never dressed in. He was never that way. He was always humble and had humility towards everything that he did. Isaiah talks about that. Isaiah chapter 53 talks that he was one not to look upon. He was a, of, a, of comely, comeliness. And they spat on him, spat, spit upon him, and took the reed and smote him on the head. You imagine Jesus sitting there. They've adorned him with a crown of thorns. They've put him in a, a, a robe of, of majesty. They bowed before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! Mocking him. What shame. What shame they put him through in man's eyes. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him. So once again, they've stripped him again. Not down to his underwear and undergarments. They stripped him. When you look that up, he's naked before all these men again. And they put his regular clothes back on. And they put on his own raiment on him 
and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments. Once again, he's on the cross. Any more shame that can be brought to this man, he's on the cross, hanging there. And they strip him again. They strip him of his raiments. And then they cast lots upon his clothes. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. Once again, he's being mocked again, this time for all to see and for it to be up there the rest of the time that he's being crucified. His accusation, the King Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then they nail him to that cross with two thieves. All the things that they had already done to him weren't shameful enough. They, they crucify him with two thieves. And yet this entire time, all Jesus is thinking of is the joy that was set before him. And he was despising all of this shame. Every last bit of it. Every last bit of shame that I brought upon him, that you brought upon him. He is despising for you and I so that we can have eternal life, so that we can live up there in glory with him. Because I believe that's part of the joy as well, is that he wants all that can to come up to heaven with him. You want to know why? Because when we're in heaven, you know what we're going to do? We're going to glorify his father is what we're going to do. As Jesus sits at the right hand of the father, we're going to glorify him when we come up there with him. That's the joy that was set before him. That's the joy that we have set before us. Those of you that are saved, that's the joy that we have set before us. Those of you that are lost, those of you that die upon this earth without being saved, you're going to go to a place that was never, I mean never, meant for you. That place was meant for the devil and his angels. That's what it was meant for. The devil, the great accuser. You know, a brother taught another lesson last week. And he talked about how this was just his matter of opinion. I believe it might have been Brother Don Curtis that talked about this, about the accuser. That maybe he went up and was accusing Jesus that maybe Jesus did sin. And that he got thrown out. Don't know if that's true, but I'd believe it of someone of the devil. And he gets thrown out and cast to a devil's hell is where he's going. And that's where Jesus and God has sentenced him. Not for man. He made man out of his own image, out of his own likeness. But you know, it's not this outward fleshly appearance it's our spirit that he made within that is of the likeness of God. Our spirits are going to live eternally. Whether it's in hell or in heaven, it will live eternity. It's infinite. 
Eternity is a long time. I can remember as a child, there's things that would go on in my life, and I'm like, man, when can I grow up? And I blink my eyes, and I'm 30 this year, and I have three children and one on the way, and I think, whoa, we got to slow down. Life is very short. I'm young, but I already see, and I talk to people that are much wiser and older than me, and they say, it only gets faster. The older you get, it just gets faster and faster. And, you know, sometimes that might be good because, you know, the older you get, and if you're saved, the the quicker you might get to see Jesus. Because that's the joy that's set before us. For those of you that are lost, this time is but a vapor, as James says. It's very short. You know what a vapor is? Have you ever seen a vapor come off the stove when your mom or, or someone in the house, whoever does the cooking, is boiling water? How quickly does that vapor just dissolve in the air? It's gone. You can blink your eyes and it's gone over and over and over and over again. That's just how our lives are. And you know, if you think about Jesus' ministry, from what they can tell, it's about three and a half years, I believe, somewhere around there. 33 and a half years old when he was crucified. That's not a very long life to live. How full of a life was it? It was very full. And he fulfilled what God had him to do. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Once again, more shame, more shame, more shame. All these worldly shames. I believe he thought nothing of those. And saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thy life, if thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver, or he trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Once again, there's more shame here. You know, many times we look at it and we think it's just the one thief that said things to him. But this is telling us that the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Both of them were mocking him and reviling him. Just one of those thieves will meet him in paradise one day. As Jesus said, today shalt thou be in paradise. I believe that Jesus wants to say the same thing to you that are lost He wants to say the same thing. And it does happen that quick. When he saves your soul, 
you get that confirmation within here and he opens the eyes of your heart and your soul. And he tells you, you'll be in paradise with me. If you were to die today and you got saved today and you died today, you would be in paradise with Jesus. Glorifying him for all of your days, for all of eternity. There's many men in this Bible that ask Jesus how to get it. What must I do? And some were hanging on to too many of these worldly things. All these things that happened to Christ on this cross are things that we feel like are so shameful, things that we know that have happened to us, we probably couldn't pick our heads back up and move forward another step. But these were not the things that I believe he mainly, that he despised the most. I believe the number one thing that he despised, as it talks in 2 Corinthians, despised, he became sin. He was a spotless lamb. And he became sin for you and I. He became sin. I believe that's why the father couldn't look at him. He became sin. One that lived this entire, in this world, lived his entire life, tempted by the devil in the garden, and did not sin. He was all man, he was all God. And yet he had all the same temptations as, as we do, and he did not sin. And he was spotless when he came upon the cross and was being crucified. He was spotless and innocent. Pilate couldn't find anything. He even says it. That you crucify this innocent man. Pardon Barabbas. And they're here mocking him and saying, come on. If you're the son of God, come off there. We want to see great miracles so we can believe you. Well, there was a great miracle coming. There was a great miracle coming, and he knew it. Once again, the joy that was set before him, he's going to rise in three days is what he tells him. And he did. He rose from that grave. Whew. It gives you chills thinking about it sometimes. Thinking that he rose from the dead. The one, God, is, God was there. He was just there from creation. There was nothing, nobody created God. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're all one. I believe they were all there before the creation of the world. Thinking of making this man in my own image. I'm going to send my son as flesh. The word will become flesh and dwell amongst us. All because it was to glorify the Father all because to, to die for our redemption. We are so undeserving. I find it many times in our own lives, us that are saved, we take for granted what God has given us. We take for granted the joy that was set before us and we take for granted those things and we begin living a life that is not what God wants us to do. 
I fear greatly that our children see that. They become distracted. You know, I, I've done a lot of work in, in Belize, foreign mission. I see a people there. I've seen true brokenness. I've seen people that, if they were to read the, the depiction of the cross and what he endured, that I believe they would feel it. I believe you have to become truly broken to him. I know that you have to become fully broken and contrite, have a broken heart and a contrite spirit before God because He is deserving of all. He is deserving of you to just spread everything out to Him. I fear so much for America. I fear so much for our children within the missionary Baptists. Many times we get this depiction that we've got the truth so our, one, our children will be saved one day because it gets preached the truth every day. The Apostle Paul talks about that. He talks about how they have eyes but they cannot see and ears but they cannot hear. Their hearts have waxed cold. That's just where the devil wants us. That's just where he wants us to be. He wants us to be wax cold. He wants us to not care about what's happening every day at church. He wants us to be distracted by things, by doodads, by cell phones, by toys, by coloring books, by whatever it is that can distract you and keep your children from listening to the message that God has sent down. The devil does everything in his power to keep you distracted. Easily things become idols. And I just fear that this place that we have freedom in, this place that that the gospel can be spread all over this world, that it could so easily die. As I've seen churches that used to be full of numbers, And do we think that many times we want to question God about those things? I assure you, it starts with me. I assure you, it starts with me. It starts with what am I spending my time doing? What example am I giving to my children? They'll follow suit right away. They will. You start being more attentive to go to the revivals, you start studying the word, you start doing all these things, I assure you that your family will follow suit. Senator friend, I truly want you to understand the shame and the sorrow and the pain that Jesus went through. He did that for you. What an amazing thing. That this man called Jesus walked upon this earth to all the sin and sorrow of this earth for you and I. And now today, you know, the cross in this time was a depiction of death, as I said. But now 
I believe this is why Jesus, God wanted to use the cross and a crucifixion and all of these things that happened, all this shame that was brought upon him. Because now when you look at the cross, you see great joy. You see grace. You see mercy. You see redemption. You see life is what you can see when you look at the cross and the depiction that it has in the world today. But I also don't want us to forget about what Jesus went through and bore all our sins on that cross and became sin for you and I for our redemption. Hebrews 10.10, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Hebrews 10.10, by the which will be our sanctified, by by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That first offering that it's talking about is the offering of blood and bulls and those things. Jesus came to fulfill all of those things once and for all to deliver us. And I want to close with this. Ephesians 1, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I just ask you, friends, those of you that are lost, I love you. I care for you. And I know your loved ones care for you. I want you to get serious with God. Get serious with your condition. Try for a moment, just push the things of this world out of the way and think about the cross and think about his suffering for you. These words in this scripture are alive. These words in this scripture I believe that God can reveal things to you, those of you that are saved, but I also believe that God can convict through this scripture. You know, I read this book of a man. It's a good read. It's called End Time Delusions. I've been talking about this book a lot because I'm fascinated with this man. The man that wrote this book was a Jew, born a Jew, believed thoroughly what the Jews believe today, that they're still the chosen people. And yet this man began going to some Christian seminar and read the Bible and and read other books, and then he started to read the crucifixion. And he said that the things that Christ went through on that cross that that he reads of caused him to fall to great conviction. And he was never in a missionary Baptist church. He never heard the gospel preached like this. He heard it preached in other places or taught at seminars of some sort. Yet he talks about how he fell upon his face all by himself, fell upon his face and started calling out to God Almighty. And he said, all of a sudden, this peace just come over me. And it felt like all the sin uh, that was within me was just lifted up and gone. Isn't that what he does? You want to know why? Because he became sin. And when he saves you, he just takes that sin away within our souls and washes us clean, white as snow. 
And he can do that for you this evening. We don't have to be in a revival service. We don't have to be in an effort meeting. Doesn't have to be a Sunday morning. Doesn't have to be a Sunday night. It can be on your pillow at night. It can be anywhere. I've heard of men saved in a submarine, an airplane. He's everywhere. And he wants to save you tonight, not tomorrow. Tonight. I ask you, get serious tonight. Let us have a song. And I want to call any of those that are saved to come and pray. Seek him while he may be found. While there's still daylight. Because there comes a great darkness. There comes a darkness of this world. But you can call me gone. I can assure you of that. And at that moment, I won't worry about you any longer. It's hard to say that, right? It, it, it hurts a little bit. Because I'll be glorifying Jesus. And I want you, those of you that are lost, to be right there with me. Glorifying his name. As we sing this song, all that would come and seek him tonight. While he may be found. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television 